was wondering the other day about music and some of the things that came to my mind about music um, really kind of thrill me because I've always loved music. Our, our home has music. We have a lot of talent in our home um, with our, my wife and my family. We love it. And so as I was thinking about music, I believe the Lord started to drop some things into my understanding. And so I want to share that with you at this time. It's, um, I'm going to talk about old music, new music. My job is not to tear down neither the old nor the new, but out to help you understand why God has done what he's done and why he's changed the style of music over the years. I believe he's been giving the people that write music and the people that write the prose, he's been giving them an anointing to do. I certainly wouldn't say all the songs, but many of them have really got an anointing on them. So the language of music, it's uh, like a special language to the soul when we hear music. There's something about music that consoles us and mellows things out for us. I'm sure you've thought of all those things before. And so it's a blessing to be able to sit down sometimes, just relax with music. And I trust that you're able to do that. Now, the music is basically used in Scripture to sing to God, and the purpose is to praise Him and to thank him. That seems to be the um, main purpose of music. Many, many times the scripture says, sing unto the Lord. A new song, sometimes it says, sometimes it wasn't. But we're going to say different styles of music. Now, depending on what spirit you're led by, that determines the spirit of the song coming from your heart. Because the scripture says, out of the issues of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so that needs to underline the need to keep our spirits right when we're at least singing and leading singing, but even just singing, because we're singing to the Lord. We need to have a right spirit. Now, I don't want you to tune me out if, you know, you see my gray hair and you think, oh, dear, he's going to bash new music. I'm not. We've used the new music in our ministry for 43 years. We started out with um, Scripture and Song, Dave and Dale Garrett, who set music to Scripture, and it was beautiful music. You can still buy it on the Internet. Put in Scripture and Song. Your David and Dale Garrett. It's beautiful stuff. It's powerful stuff because it's scripture. And they've ranged it mostly for, to, to the tunes that we are comfortable with. So I'm not here to judge anybody's music or to find fault with them. I want to tell you what I believe the Lord has done it for and what I believe he sees it as the purpose of it. And so, just to look at some scriptures. In Ephesians 5, verses 17 to 20, he says, Therefore, 
do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Please note that. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. In other words, Paul's saying there's different kinds of songs we can give to the Lord. And then he goes on and says, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Again, it's to the Lord. Giving thanks always for all the things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then you can also just slip over to the book of Colossians in chapter 3. There in chapter 3, verses 15 to 17, he says, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you also were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of God dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now I've emphasized there's three different kinds of singing there. And I would like to believe that as spirit-led churches and ministries, that we would know from the Lord what he wants us to sing at any particular gathering. And what, what if he asked us to sing one of the real old ones mixed in with one of the new ones? Would you be able to handle that if you're a leader? And yet, what if that's what the Father wanted? We're singing to him. What does he want? I'm going to talk a bit about that later. We need to recognize that God has anointed these songs, and he loves them. So psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, it's God's way to equip us to give him thanks and give praise to him with music, using voice and instruments. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs are tools that help us and make us aware of the existence and holiness of God. They're also a dedication and a declaration of what he has done for us and the hope he gives us of heaven. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs are ordained by God to push back the powers of the enemy. Even though we're singing the song to the Lord, it is still has a purpose. Listen to what he says in Psalm 138, verse 1. He says, I will praise you with my whole heart. Before the gods, I will sing praises to you. The gods, he's referring to the demonic that claim they're gods. And he says, I'm going to have you proclaim before them by singing praise. See, praises is, of course, declaring the greatness of God. We'll talk more about that in a few minutes. It's the mandate of the church to let the enemy know what an awesome God we have by declaring praise to him. 
in Isaiah 52. Isaiah says in Isaiah 52, he says in verse 9 and 10, burst into songs of joy together. He says, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. Now remember verse 9 says, songs of joy. So in verse 10 he says, the Lord will lay bare his holy arm." in the sight of all the nations. I'm stopping here. I believe he's referring his holy arm are these songs of joy. What's an arm? It shows strength. What is praise? It's strength because in Jesus, when he talked about the strength of praises, he was quoting the Old Testament where it says the, the praises of the people was strength. And so the Lord laid bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Why will we see the salvation of our God? Because the church is singing songs of joy. Ephesians 3, verses 10 and 11. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So again he's saying, the church, take this manifold wisdom of God. Now that has to do with praise because when we declare the wisdom of God, we're praising God because he has wisdom. And make it known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. He's not talking about heaven. He's talking about the heavenly realms where Satan and his kingdom reside. Make known to them the manifold wisdom of God. It's our job as a church to do that. So in, in my study of this and nudging Lord to cover three different time periods in history that have to do with music being developed in those time periods. There's a period of time when the development of music was teaching us holiness. I'm going to elaborate on that a bit. There is a period of time when the development of music was giving us the hope of heaven. I will develop that as well. And there's a period of time when the development of music is giving us praise for the Lord. So let's work at it. The first period is teaching us regarding holiness. And in order to understand the time frame of that, we go way back, 1700s, 1800s, and 1900s, early 1900s at least. Men like Isaac Watts, he wrote a hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. It is still a powerful hymn. It is sound doctrinally, and it declares the holiness that we must walk in because of what the Lord has done at that cross. It talks about tearing down our pride so that we can obtain to that thing 
which God calls holiness. It's not an impossible task to be holy. It's repentance that brings us in. It's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us. And we stand there and he puts his mantle of holiness on him. Now there's many more. The Wesley brothers at that time wrote and sang songs that had to do with holiness. And as we still sing some of those in churches today, it reminds us of the cry of God's heart for our people that would walk before him in holiness. And it's important that we understand that when God wrote those, he had in mind of preparing the church in those days to walk in holiness. And it was our job way back then, 1700, 1800, to teach and promote that holiness right up to today. Now, I don't know how your church is doing or your ministry, but it sorely lacks in many churches. They were afraid to talk about holiness. But we'd better not be, because without holiness, we're not going to see the Lord. We won't see Him. And so it's important that the songs of old, that we respect them enough to at least go back and read them. Some of you that aren't familiar with them, to get an old hymn book and to read them, just to get the message. Learn to sing them if you want, but at least read them because there's something within them. God was laying a foundation back then that we have slid off in many cases. We're not there anymore in holiness, and we need to be. How do we expect God to show up by his Holy Spirit on a Sunday morning if we're not walking in holiness? Why should he defile himself in a defiled presence of sin that's not dealt with? We need to take advantage of the cross. The psalmist said in Psalm 139, He says in verses 23 and 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of understanding. <clears throat> Have you asked the Lord today to search your heart? Have you asked him this week? Have you asked him this month? Have you asked them at all? Well, see, how can we know if there's something hidden that the enemy has, has been able to um, camouflage something as okay when really God sees it as a sin? It's called deception. And you see, we need to spend some time periodically with the Lord saying, Lord, search my heart. Show me if there's anything that defiles your presence. Anything that is in rebellion, show me, O oh Lord. But those songs undergird so much of holiness. They're so important to us. Now, the second time in history was more probably the end of the 1800s into the 1900s, most of the 1900s, up until at least 1970. 
and there was when scripture and songs, late 60s, 70s, integrity and a bunch of those started to come on board with new music. But in that time, the songs were giving us a hope of heaven. He was saying in many different songs, there's a mansion over the hill, it's yours. I go to prepare a place for you, Jesus said in the scriptures. And so we have songs that remind us that there's something out there. Meet me in the morning just inside the eastern gate. Songs like that that, that give us a, 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 a memory, a, a grasp that something's coming that I can get excited about. See, Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the assurance of things we hope for. So we need hope in order to be sure of things so we can have faith. Now the word hope for doesn't mean, oh, I'm hoping it won't rain today type hope. The hope that we're using here is the hope that I know because God has said, I know, I know that heaven's coming. I know. And so faith comes out of that. Faith says, I will resist evil. I will stand up under persecution. I will glorify God at every chance I get because I realize that heaven is awesome, an eternal life for me, whereas hell is torment and pain. Heaven is glorious, and I need to hang on to the hope that I have. And many of the songs all through that era, um, I'm not even sure when they started, back in the late 1800 perhaps, maybe up to the 19. 50s. Now they're still writing them, they're still singing those songs about heaven. Hebrews 3.1 says, fix our thoughts on Jesus. Well, how do we do that when we're under pressure, under hard trial? How do we do that? I believe by singing songs of God's faithfulness. And you see, singing songs makes words easy for us to remember, because the music helps us to remember the words. Now, I'm so thankful for that. Recently, I was very discouraged because of a, of a surgery that had gone wrong. And I'm having trouble sleeping at night because the medication caused me to sleep through the day and then when evening, the nighttime came and everything's quiet, I would be slept out and I'd be laying there. I wasn't in pain, but I felt terrible. Everything had gone wrong. It seems though every day something was going bad. I'm thankful we had a, many people praying for me. I'm so thankful, but I want to tell you something. In the second night of struggling with this, both nights I was saying, Lord, please take me home. I don't want, to, I don't want to, my wife to have to push me around a wheelchair for the rest of my life or, or be crippled. I just, I just want to go home. I was praying, but he didn't take me home. But the second night, I remember it was around 2 o'clock, and I had these thoughts going through my mind. Oh, you're going to be, you're never going to get well. It's always going to be crippled. You're all, 
all that stuff going on in my mind. But all of a sudden, I'm sure it was prompted by the Holy Spirit. I start to sing a hymn. It's called In the Garden. I sang the chorus, and I was singing it in a whisper, loud enough that I could hear it. I didn't want to wake up the guy in the bed beside me, but I wanted to hear it. And when I got to the chorus, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. And when I hit that phrase that he tells me I'm his own, all those thoughts, all that garbage that was hitting me and discouraging me, all that stuff was gone because I knew the words to an old song that got me through at that moment. It's like something, a pillar of faith I suddenly grabbed onto. It was hope that came to me, and out of that hope I expressed a spirit of faith that said, I am owned by him. He cares for me. I belong to him. And my whole night took a complete turn. And as I went to sleep, and I never fought that stuff again while I was in the hospital. And believe me, folks, I am so thankful that my church and my family, mom and dad, we used to sing together with our brothers and sisters and singing those all. I'm so glad for that. They got it into my memory bank. And my faith is based on the hope that I have that God will see me through and bring me in. Thank you, Lord, for that song. Thank you for the writer that wrote those words. And you see, I can slip on over to 1 John. He's, he's, he's almost quoting Paul, but he says, Dear friends, we are children of God, that we will be as what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now listen, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Like, I know the blood of Jesus cleanses me, but my, there's something about believing in hope that purifies me. This is the third period I want to talk to you now about. It started, as far as I know, in late 1960s and early 1970s. And what was coming out then was Scripture and Song by David and Dale Garrett. And they did an excellent job of put, literally taking, let me call it raw scripture, and putting it to music. And it was, it was exciting because a lot of it was joyful. It was, um, they, they had good melodies, good tunes, and I really did enjoy. Then after a while, integrity started to bring in some. Then we had a flood of many others. And there's, today there's, countless people producing songs that we would call this generation music. In Psalm, Psalm 100, verse 4, it says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him 
and praise his name. So I, just as we had a holiness time in history, we had a hope time in history, now we have a praise time in history. And it is very important that we get a hold of why all three are important to us, I'm sure, on a day-by-day -day basis, if I may. So the third period, it's a praise, first of all, by definition, is the declaration of God's greatness. We can do it just verbally, we can do it with singing, but it's a declaration of all his attributes, all his character traits are being expressed. And I said back in, in a, a few minutes, uh, in the last one, the, in part one, I talked about how we declare this stuff uh, many times against the enemy, even though we're singing it to God, we declare it against the enemy. And so because today's music, the songs are mostly praise songs, we realize that we're in a time when the focus of music is being directed to God in praise. Before it was directed to God in our desire for holiness, and then it was directed to God in an attitude of our hope of eternity. And now we're talking about praise songs. But praise songs that we're in right now do, does have some things that some of us are not too happy with. If I'd been living back in the 1700s, 1800s, I'm sure some of the hymns that come out, I would not have been too happy with them. As a matter of fact, you know, you might say someone like Isaac Watts, is, uh, maybe somebody might say he wrote 500 songs. We only have a handful, because they didn't all make it as far as being popular. Many of our press songs today are not going to make it over the next few years. And I want to point out one specific type of song. It's songs that focus on me. I want more of you, Lord. Give me more of you, Lord. I want, I want. And these are not praise songs. Definitely not. There might be prayers of supplication, but they're not praise. They're not thanksgiving. They're simply a me-centered song that I don't, necessarily enjoy that much. One guy said it this way. I'm not the only one to, to express concern. One guy said it this way. If you're saying, Lord, I want more of you, stop and think for a minute. He came to earth from a beautiful heaven into a messy earth, rejected by his people, by his disciples, was betrayed, was whipped, beaten, crucified, and laid in a borrowed tomb. What more can he give? What more do you want? Actually, he wants more of us. He wants us dead so that we can be alive in him. As a matter of fact, Elvis Presley's last recording, I'm told, I'm going by what somebody else has said here, his, his last recording was, I did it my way. Definitely not a praise song. So I'm going to talk more about praise songs in a few minutes. 
Singing is freedom for our souls, even though it may not be, we may not be free physically. Now, I wasn't free when I gave the Lord that song, or he gave it to me, whichever way, where he owns me. You see, I was in prison to a hospital bed at that time. But see, in Acts 16, 25, it says about midnight, Paul and Silas, who are in prison, a miserable place, in stocks, were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. They didn't have to be free physically to be free spiritually and emotionally. That would free them up emotionally. And so we should be concerned about some stuff. We could be concerned if I lived in the 1700s or 1800s or the 1900s, any form of music. We could be concerned about some of the things I want to express to you. So this is not a criticism of songs as much as let's take stock of our attitude towards our songs, our singing, our leadership, our participation, so that everything we do can be a delight to the Lord. We need song leaders in the church who are aware that we are singing to the Lord. I say that because there seems to be sometimes, if we could just get the music going great, other people would come. Wrong reason, wrong motivation. We're singing to the Lord. Therefore, those leaders should know before the practice and certainly before the service begins what the Father wants to hear. Spend time asking him, you leaders, asking him what he wants to hear today. Now, flesh is a big problem in music of any age that I'm talking about. Flesh has been a problem. There's an artistic pride Anybody that has an ability that's kind of outside of the norm, whether it be music or art or whatever it might be, there's an artistic pride that can take place within us that can be a hindrance to what God wants to do through us. Now, the Bible said God hates pride. The Bible says God is opposed to pride. The God says, if we don't humble ourselves, he'll humble us. That should scare us right there that says, I, I make a choice to humble myself. Don't ask God to do it, he might. The Bible tells us to humble ourselves. And from the Old Testament, Peter and James state, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So we need to recognize it, that that passage says, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. To say that God understands and, enjoy, and enjoys it in spite of our flesh is contrary to Scripture. In other words, we might say, well, I'm doing the best I can, even though I want people to see me and I want to look at God will still, no, it says in Isaiah 1, 1 13, he says, the incest of your offering is detestable to me. As a matter of fact, I believe it's back in the, in the old King James. He says, it's a stench in my nostril. If the sacrifice I'm giving to him called praise 
if there's if there's selfishness in it, if there's if there's a look at me, if there's a I want you to see my talent attitude, it stinks in his nostril. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Now artistic pride is destructive. We are led to believe by Satan that performing in our gifting will make us rich and famous, perhaps. That might be true for a while, but God has promised that he'll tear down the proud in heart, and God has always kept his promises. The pride of our flesh can take away the glory that belongs to the Lord, and we shine our musical gift on ourselves. All to do with pride. Anyone who has a gift will find it easy to elevate themselves above those who do not have gifting. If there's flesh in our singing, and the Bible says anything that is of the flesh is sin, so if we're singing to the Lord in the flesh, we're actually presenting to him sin because that's what flesh is. The key is to walk and live in the fear of the Lord, to say, Lord, I want to glorify you. I'm going up there to sing Sunday morning to that group. I want to glorify you. I don't want to glorify me. I want to glorify you. I want everything I do. If I dance, if I raise my hands, if I jump up and down, I want it to glorify you. I don't want it to be my flesh. I don't want to try to impress people. The flesh we always have with us, but we need to set our minds that we will obey the Lord. King Asa in the Old Testament, it said he set his heart to obey the Lord in everything, and the Lord blessed him in everything because he set his heart. But to see, this pride is not helped by leaders when they put us up in the stage the musician, the singers. What is the stage? Stage draws attention to people. Stage is there to lift people up so people can see you. The stage says, look at me. I hope you can overcome that. I hope you can go into that platform where your music group is and walk in there in holiness, in the praise and the trust that God's going to let people see Christ in you not see you. Pray that in. Work at it. Would you still be part of the music team? If the team was in a basement room in the church and you were not able to even tell anyone that you were in the team, and so they take everything from our microphones, pipe it up to the soundboard, and then it goes out in the speakers, the audience, all they have is the overhead. Would you be interested in being on the team if nobody could see you, if nobody knew you were part of it, if no one knew that that, that beautiful guitar solo was you, or that voice that led out in that song was you, nobody knew, would you still be interested in that team? Would you still be interested in singing there? You may play perfect and sing great, but if there is pride, there will be some in the audience who are in tune with the Spirit. They will say later to someone when talking about the service, there is something wrong. 
even though the music was perfect, the singing was good, we still say there's something wrong. It's because flesh is pouring out, coming out with those words. Oh, my brothers and sisters, do everything you can to fight against. Bible says to crucify the deeds of thought. When you go home after service and you realize, oh man, what I was doing, I was hoping someone would notice. I was hoping to impress somebody that I'm really spiritual. You need to say, Lord, I take that. I crucify it. I'm driving the nails in it. I beat it over the head with a reed. I, I, I put a crown of thorns on it. I drive spears and I drive nails in the hands and the feet. I crucify it. Paul said we're to crucify that stuff. If we don't, it'll eventually crucify us. Jesus said, unless a kernel of corn falls into the ground and dies, just lays there. Is that what you're like in the Sunday? Just there. Yes, you're making a noise, you're playing, but you're just there. Because you haven't died. It's about time we had some dead people who are alive in Christ singing for us from the front. The beautiful thing about it, Jesus supplied the cross. He supplied the blood of cleansing. He supplied the gift of repentance. He supplied everything that we can get rid of that pride. And every time you fight it, every time it gets weaker, and eventually some Sunday you'll know you stood up there and your, your, your singing was wholesome. It came out of holiness. It came out of a hope of heaven. And it was giving praise to God without any thoughts of what people would think or what people might say. You were totally en engrossed in the one who hung on the cross for you. The trouble is many times leadership in the church, they may be aware of pride, but they're afraid to say anything because so many people are so easily offended. That offense becomes a control tool against the leaders, and they're afraid to say anything. And you see, the person that is offended easily is a controller. But let me tell you what the Bible calls a controller. The Bible calls it a witch, because to control something is witchcraft. I'm not talking about the control the, that a board gives to the church or a pastor gives to a service. I'm talking about when you control someone to get what you want and to have them respond to you the way you want. There's selfishness involved. It's witchcraft. God said that through Samuel to Saul. Witchcraft is because of your, dis your disobedience is witchcraft, he said. And disobedience is a direct result of pride wanting its own way, so therefore it rebels against God and becomes witchcraft. Our clothes, any jewelry, makeup, hairstyle, all should be judged by am I doing this to draw attention to myself? Did you hear that? Am I dressing? Am I preparing myself physically to draw attention to myself? Now, do you have enough faith to ask God 
that by his Holy Spirit, he would tell you what you should wear and what accessories, your hair, your makeup. So in his leading you, your whole person would represent Jesus, not self. Are you ready to commit yourself to that? Every time you stand in public, every time you're singing, even in a group, we can do things in a group. We're not in leadership in a group to try to impress people. Are you willing to say, Lord, I don't want to do anything of the flesh. I don't want to dress. I don't want to wear anything, have my hair cut, anything to draw attention. I want you, Lord, to tell me, what can I do so people don't see me, but they say, Jesus Christ. Now, I'm sure that many of the musicians and singers way back in the past had their pride problem. I'm sure of it. We can't do anything about that, but we can do something about it now. And we need to. We need to have a, a leadership that says, Lord, we want to glorify you. Now, God often uses people to humble us. You know, someone might come up and say to you what you were doing Sunday morning. You were showing off so people would think you're really spiritual, that you're really in touch with God. Now, they may not do it very nice. There may not be much love. Maybe, they, maybe they're getting even for something. Maybe they, they purposely want to hurt you. But I think when people do that, I believe well over 90% of the time people are not wanting to hurt you. They want to help you. But we don't, if we're proud, we don't interpret it that way. And instead of receiving from one who is delivering this word of correction, we turn around and we feel sorry for ourselves, we're offended, and we make sure that those around us become aware of just how badly we were treated. And we were treated and how much that person really hurt us. Is that the way you respond to correction? You see, what we've done over the past, we've said, well, you can't talk about the speck in my eye. You've got a log in your own eye. Well, why don't we change steps here a little bit? Why don't we let, allow God to look after the guy with the log in his eye? And why don't we, in turn, say, Lord, I want you to search my heart. I want you to tell me if there's any wicked way in it. Was that guy right? Even though I'm 99% sure he was wrong. Was that guy right? I might even be 100% sure he's wrong. But you see, deception my definition of deception is I am convinced I am right, but I'm wrong. That's what deception is. And so I need to take what he has said or she has said, and I need to say something like this. Thank you, brother, sister. Thank you. I'm going to take your concern, what you've seen in me, and I'm going to go to the Lord and I'm going to ask him to show me if that sin is in my life. 
and I may even go to the, my, my, my pastor, my counselor, my Sunday school teacher, my youth worker, go to them and just say, someone has said this, that I have this particular sin in my life. I, I ask you to tell me honestly, do you see that in my life? Is that a concern? Do you know what you're doing? First of all, you're disarming the other person. If they had intent to hurt you, you totally disarm them. But you are realizing that we need to have our hearts searched. None of us are perfect. Jesus said we all sin. Now, the, the music of praise has a mission. When the king is preparing to come to his people, he's announced. When a judge is ready to enter the courtroom, he's announced. You see, our songs of praise are announcing the coming of our king. We've had the platform of holiness. We've had the platform of hope of heaven. Now we're, we're declaring that the king is coming. Our songs are basically saying he's just over the hill. Jesus is returning. What an honor this generation has to write songs of praise that declare that the king of greatness, of holiness, is coming. What an honor. The old songs are not old-fashioned, folks. Nothing about God nor his kingdom, his words, nor his word are ever out of date. Please remember that. The Lord's anointing does not have an expiry date. What he anointed yesterday is not out of date today. If we reject the old hymns as out of date, what will keep people from assuming that the Bible is old? Because the Bible is old, it is also out of date. It is an insult in God's face that's to say that what he has anointed is now finished if he hasn't said it. It will be holiness, faith based on our hope and the godly strength of praise that will get us through the hard times when we will be able to be overcomers. Glory to God. We need the platforms. We need the, 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 the praise to declare that he's coming. So in the name of Jesus, I pray that you will take a hold of those things that glorify God and then I want our songs as unto the Lord. We should say with clean hands and a pure heart. We should sing even though people have said you can't. Many people have been told you can't sing, so they don't. God never said he's going to give everybody a good voice. As a matter of fact, he said make a joyful noise. He didn't say make a beautiful noise. Those of you, especially you men, Open your mouth and start singing. Who cares if you're off key? If the guy beside you doesn't like it, it's his problem, not yours. You're obeying the Lord by singing. Sing to fulfill the first commandment, giving God all our love. Sing to let the demonic realm know that you love the Lord. I took that from Ephesians 3, where it's up to the church to declare the greatness of God before the gods of the age. Dance where no one else is watching. Are you willing to be a dancer even though nobody knows? Dance when no one else is watching. Sing as unto the Lord. 
sing and dance unto the Lord. And it's because we are announcing that the king is coming. What an honor to live in this day and age, to be able to declare he is coming. The one who taught us holiness, the one who taught us of the hope of heaven, now we're declaring that he is coming. Glory to God. Father, I thank you for music. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being your child and being given the privilege to sing. Thank you, Lord, for all those out there that will lift up the name of Jesus after they hear this teaching and will have searched their hearts and have cried out to you against their flesh, their pride, everything that distorts the praise that should come to you. Thank you, Lord, for every one of them. Give them wisdom. Give them keen leadership, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I do thank you. Amen, Lord. Amen. Please visit our website at jwmi.ca to find out about more information of our ministry.